You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Uh, Very, very warm welcome to all of you, and all you ladies especially, thank you for being here this morning. Uh, We're missing 130 of our gals up in Tahoe. They're just finishing up their last meeting right now, and uh, they've had a great weekend. Heard a lot of good reports uh, about what's gone up there. And so, uh, anyway, uh, we're in this series for the summer, and uh, starting off on this series of mist. Uh, misquoted, misunderstood, misused scriptures, etc. Uh, I, I think the whole series has kind of taken a little bit of a lean that I wasn't expecting uh, to happen. And so uh, there has been a lot said the last few weeks about, about uh, really trusting Jesus when we come to the end. When we're at the end of our strength, the end of our rope, then really depending on Him and leaning on Him. And, and uh, we've talked about a few verses like that. So I want to I say this from the get-go, because we're going to do the same thing again today. Uh, The verse uh, that we're talking about today kind of lends itself to that. But as believers, um, this is true, we hold on, uh, come hell or high water. And there's going to be trouble in this world. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And on the other hand, we don't want to go around our whole life going, okay, I'm just hanging on until Jesus comes. We don't want to have a downcast uh, kind of lifestyle or spirit like that. We want to walk in victory. Jesus has set us free. It was for freedom that Jesus has set us free. So we want to walk with our head held high and our shoulders back and saying, I am a Christ follower. And, and, and we can be confident knowing where we're headed, what's ahead for us. There's a future for us uh, with him. And that he's also uh, destined us for uh, increase here on, on this world. And so we don't want to be down here all the time. Yet that's true. We're going to hold on till Jesus comes. And we don't always want to be up here like not looking and not living in reality. Yes, I actually have some big problems like this, like that old Monty Python, tis but a flesh wound, you know. His arms are cut off and he goes, come back here, you coward. And, uh, you know, so anyway, this is not reality and this is not where God has intended us to live. Yet there's truth in both, both of them. And so we're going to look at that perspective uh, today. Uh, when I was a kid, my dad said, you could do anything if you put your mind to it. Now, I know what he was trying to teach me. He was trying to teach me that my attitude has a lot to do with what I do in life. Your attitude determines your altitude. You know, they should make that a poster or something. And so, you know, you want to be positive in your thinking because if you're down and you don't want to do something, you're not going to ever get anything accomplished. But When we take this verse, this is our verse today, Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. Now, we may have memorized that as little kids or younger or heard that before or heard uh, sermons. I've preached. I've taught kids. You know, you can do it like this. And um, it's not exactly true. So when we look at Scripture, we desperately need the help of the Holy Spirit, God's presence. So, Father, I pray that you would be here this morning and teach us and lead us into all truth. I pray that you'd open up our understanding as to what your word uh, has for us here today. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. By the way, in September, we're going to start a new series on the book of Romans. I'm very, very excited. Um, I think the title of it is going to be Peace with God. And uh, Romans is one of the toughest books in the Bible to get through theologically, but uh, my prayer is that we'll make it come alive for all of us. And uh, looking forward to that and preparing for that. So we always uh, approach God's Word in humility. We don't think we know everything. We don't think we're it. Uh, We read from the text and not into the text. We don't just eject our favorite little philosophies and try to uh, read into what Scripture is not saying, actually. And then we work to understand the context uh, what's the surrounding, what's the, what's the plot, what's the book, what's the chapter say, where does it fit in with God's uh, big story. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about context today, whereas last week uh, we let uh, Scripture interpret Scripture. We talked a bit about money last week, and so we looked all through the Bible and what the Bible says about money. And so the best commentary on Scripture is Scripture, but most importantly, we always want to apply God's Word to our life. What good is it if we just learn a bunch of information and it never makes any impact on our life, never changes our life? We want the Word of God to change us. And it's, that's why it's called a sharp two-edged sword. It's able to cut deep. It's not used as a weapon against each other. It's used to reveal who we really are. And so uh, getting into the context of this, Paul's writing to the church at Philippi. So if you lived in Philippi, you would be called a Philippian. Just like if you live in Placerville, Placerville you're called a Placervillian. <laughs> All right? So it would be the letter to the Placervillians. And uh, so Paul wrote this letter, and I'm going to read most of the fourth chapter here. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need... For I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news, and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. The New American Standard Version says that I seek for the profit which increases to your account. I love that. My old pastor, his name was Jesse. He said, you have an account in heaven. There's an account, and everything that you deposit here on earth, you're going to reap a reward in heaven. You have an account. And I know that's kind of stretching that a bit, but there is a reward for believers when we sow seeds of kindness or finances or whatever it is that God calls us to do. We do it as unto Him. There will be a reward for it. At the moment, I have all I need, Paul says, and more. I'm generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice. That is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs according, um, getting, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's King James. Supply all your needs from his glorious riches which you have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. 
All right? So that's a little bit of the context, and we're going to do much more of the context here. So point number one today, we can get ourselves in trouble when we take Scripture out of context. Adolf Hitler stood before the nation of Germany in his great speeches that inspired a nation into horrible, horrible evil. He quoted from Scripture. And he quoted out of context. He took little bits and, and, uh, and took them out of context. And uh, we can pretty much prove whatever you want. If you want to prove something, there's probably a verse in the Bible that you can take out of context, take half a thought, half a phrase, and, uh, and rework it into whatever you want. Eric uh, Bargerhuff says, when we take Scripture out of context and try to use the Bible how we see fit, we can easily set ourselves up for defeat. In fact, we can become so disillusioned with God that we practically shipwreck our faith because He's not meeting our expectations. God said He would do this, and He's not doing it. You ever said that? This is my expectation. God, you're not doing it. I, I told you, you need to do this. And so you got two kids playing soccer. Both are little Christian kids. Their parents raise them. Uh, to memorize Bible verses, they both memorized Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So they're both saying, I can do this. We can win. I'm going to get that winning goal. And only one's going to win the game. So is this not true over here? And it is true over here. Or did we take something out of context? How about, uh, God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have this final exam, and I'm taking this test now. And I didn't study, but I just, I just want you to be able to do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Or beating the train across the tracks. <laughs> you know, a kid driving really fast to beat the train. Uh, no, we actually have to take all things and qualify that or say what exactly does all things uh, mean. So when Paul wrote this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, he was in jail. He was in prison. And the Romans ultimately killed him. We don't know exactly for sure, but we're pretty sure that he was beheaded. And um, so let's look at the context here. It's number two. Paul planted this church in Philippi. And these people are called the Philippians. This was the first church that came out of the Middle East area of Asia. Uh, and then they went over the sea into Greece or Macedonia. It was the first, like, way far away across a, on a different continent church plant, Philippi. And so here's the thing about that. That church in Greece that Paul planted, Philippi, lasted for 1,300 years. That was quite a long church there in, in Philippi. And then uh, on the, uh, the first person he met there was a businesswoman, and she came to Christ, and she opened the door for them to have ministry into the church. So here we see in Acts chapter 16. Now in the New Testament, Acts is kind of like a history of the New Testament from, you know, from the apostles. They, uh, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. It should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit, really. But it's what they did after Jesus ascended for the rest of the first century. And then you have most of the rest of the New Testament is letters like Philippians or Colossians or Corinthians and letters that were, were written. I'd encourage all of you at some point to read the chronological New Testament or maybe the chronological Bible where what they'll do is they'll take the whole 
New Testament and they insert all the letters where they fit in Acts. Like when they go to Philippians, he'll, he'll, they'll insert that in there. When they talk about the church at Corinth, they'll insert that one there and those kind of things. It's very interesting to see how that works. So uh, it says, from there we reach Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with other members of her household. So here's just a picture. That's how it started. It started with a a Bible study, a prayer group. And then Paul comes and preaches Jesus to them. They loved God, but he preached Jesus to them. They accepted that. They were baptized. And then this little church, fledgling church plant uh, was started. And then it kind of grew. And then Paul and Silas, they actually preached for quite a while in the city. And uh, there was this uh, demon-possessed girl, slave girl, who was a fortune teller, made a lot of money for her her masters. Um, She starts following Paul around and saying, I know who you are, you know. I know who you're talking about. So let's read what it says here. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her master. So she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they've come to tell you how to be saved. Do you know how that demon-possessed slave girl knew that? Because the demon inside her was in heaven with all the angels before Lucifer and a third of the angels were cast down, and that's who are the powers and principalities in the world today. They were in heaven. They knew who the Most High God was. They knew who he was, and they knew exactly what Paul uh, was doing to tell these people how to be saved from that, and she was trying to disrupt that. Paul was much more uh, patient than I would be, I think. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her. He didn't say it to the girl. He said it to the demon within her. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. People were going, whoa, like this. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grab Paul and Silas and drag them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten. It's not, it's not the little ruler you got on the back of the hand if you grew up at Catholic school. It's not even a little switch or something. A rod is like a six-foot heavy-duty stick twice or three times the thickness of a broom handle. And they were not just beaten, they were severely beaten. And in those days, they didn't have any ACLU, anybody to come and complain to or you know, write something up. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Dungeons and jails in those days were not like they are now. 
There was no air circulation or sewer, proper sewage control, and a little sink there to wash your hands. The air was stale and putrid and damp and absolute in the inner dungeon. If you're slightly claustrophobic like me, I would have a hard time on the outer dungeon yet to go in the inner dungeon. You couldn't even stand up in your cell. You just chained to the floor there, sitting against uh, a rough hewn wall with your back beat bloody and absolute darkness. I could just picture Paul there saying, man, I thought I was in the center of your will. I thought I was doing what you wanted me to do. And a few verses later, it says around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. A couple years ago, I wrote a blog called Hell Hole Singing. How in utter darkness, all the other prisoners in absolute despair start hearing worship and praise to God. The other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake And the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open, and he assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. Because if one prisoner escaped, then he would be probably crucified, since it was a Roman colony. But Paul shouted to him, Don't! Stop! Stop! Don't kill yourself! We're all here! The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, you can better believe that on the outside of this jail, he heard the sounds of praise and worship drifting through. The city wasn't noisy like it is nowadays with traffic and airplanes flying over and the hum of electric motors everywhere, just the Hear it quiet. You hear that? It was absolute quiet, and this music just drifted through. And then the earthquake, and then he thinks he's going to die because all the prisoners are gone. Of course they're going to be gone. He brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's a very good question to ask. When you encounter Almighty God in a way that Everybody has an individual encounter with him. But we're all confronted with who is God? Who are you, Lord? What do you want me to do? He says, what must I do to be saved? And they said probably uh, the second or third or fourth most famous verse in the Bible, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And your house. And your family. Your household. People. Listen, make this belief, this profession of faith in him. Trust in him. Rely on him as to who he is. And they shared the word of the Lord with them and all who lived in the household. Even at that hour at night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. I want to tell you, if you're a believer and you haven't been water baptized, get baptized. You need to. Lydia did right away. The jailer did. And his whole house got baptized right away. It's, uh, Peter says, repent and be baptized. It's, it's an outward statement of what's taking place on the inside of us. I cannot see your heart. God can. So if you've said yes to him, you're going to go to heaven. 
But he also wants us to make this public profession of our faith so that the world knows where we stand. It's partly obedience. There's a lot more theology to that. But if you're a Christ follower and you haven't been water baptized, get water baptized next Sunday. Uh, we'll have it out here. And uh, just sign up at the, West, at the Welcome Center, please. Or talk to your small group leader or an elder or something. You need to get baptized. Um, he brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. So that's a little bit of the context. It's not quite the same as I can do all things for Christ and me. You know, I can win this game. I can make, I'm only five foot two and I can slam dunk. You know, I can do it. I just see little kids looking way up there. I can do this. You know, that's not what that's talking about. So first of all, maybe you're stuck. Maybe you've been severely beaten, so to speak, and in a dungeon a dark place. A couple things. One, it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Um, Paul, at another time, he was beaten and thrown into jail. He did that quite a bit. Uh, multiple convicted felon serving Jesus. But he was serving Jesus in a way that none of us, I don't think, could, could fully understand. But he was doing the right thing. He was in bed, and it was Acts, in fact, it's Acts um, chapter 23. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome. So Paul knew that he was supposed to take this message around. He knew that he was on his way to Rome to testify there. And he's in his bed, beaten badly. And the Lord says, that's okay. You're all right. It's okay. You're going to speak before Caesar. When I preached on this first time a couple years ago, I was reminded when I was a kid, most of you know, I was a foster child. Didn't know my dad. My mom died when I was five. Um, I, I, my two sisters and I went around to f- quite a few foster homes and, um, and finally a wonderful pastor and his wife and their five kids they took us in that's my family to this day and um, fortunately my new mom and uh, Terry's mom were best friends since junior high school and are best friends to this day and so that's how I met Terry. So God always has a plan. I'm so grateful for second chances in life. We've got a lot of adoptive uh, families and fostering families in this church, and I, I just thank God for you. Uh, we are to stand together with you in that. But there was a few times in some of the homes I was in where I was not beaten as bad as Paul, but somewhat so, curled up on a bed. I could just picture Jesus with his hand there saying, it's okay, it's going to be all right, it's going to be okay, you're going to make it. And some of you are in tough circumstances right now. It might be endless financial problems or sickness or discouragement. just want to say, it's okay, it's okay. We're going to make it. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The context there is giving, but it's also whatever you need at the moment. He'll supply the need and keep your eyes on Jesus the way he does it. 
Don't worry. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep it fixed on Jesus. The picture there is that is the children of Israel. They hundreds of years earlier they were disobedient, and all these poisonous snakes came out, and they were biting people. People were dying, and Moses cries out to God and says, "What are we going to do?" And God says, "Pick up a serpent." Make a bronze serpent, put it up on a pole, and if people just look at that serpent, they, w- they won't die. And then God used that same thing hundreds of years later when Jesus was lifted up in the same manner. We look at Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And Paul goes on in Philippians here. He says, listen, brothers and sisters, uh, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. By the way, parents, that's probably the best way when your kid's 13, they want to go see an R-rated movie with their friends. Oh, my friends see an R-rated movie. Just say, did you memorize Philippians 4.13 like I said? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Does that fit in with that? No. All right, you're not going. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Number two, it's not about doing anything and everything. It's about being content. That's the point of this whole, of this whole passage. Paul says in in, uh, chapter 4, verse 10, How I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need or have ever learned how to be content. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you've done well to share with me in my present difficulty. His present difficulty, he, he was under house arrest. He was in chains. He was eminently, not eminently, imminently going to have his head cut off. That's the condition he was in. This church had grown under his leadership. They're the first church over in Greece and in the new continent of Europe. And they were growing, but the years had, had, gone, had, had passed, and Paul, uh, Paul was writing to encourage them, and he was in prison. Sixteen times the word joy and rejoice appears in this short little letter to the Philippians. Yet he's encouraging them. And the reason is, is because they were in a situation, they found themselves in a situation that we're often in today. They loved God. Yes, they loved God, but they started trusting in their own ability more. Paul says, listen, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Not in my own strength. Because we really have to come to the end of our strength. We have to come to the edge of the cliff and then God says, okay, take another step because now you know that you're depending on me you can't do this on your own. So as a result, they were becoming worried and agitated and irritated, just like we do with one another. And Jesus referred to this in Mark chapter 4. He said, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, 
the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. Have we come to the point where we take our eyes off Jesus, depending on ourself, and then the worries of this life, the concerns of this life, the deceitfulness or deceptiveness of riches, and the desire for other things, crowds us out to where we don't produce any fruit. Are we producing fruit? If we're not, it's because we've taken our eyes off Jesus. And other things have gotten in the way. And that's what he was encouraging them with. While he was in the middle of a horrible storm, he was saying, listen, you can do this through Christ. So yes, Jesus is all we need, really. He's all we need. And you can tell that to the Chinese Christian who this very year, this very day, they're put before firing squads in China and being killed for being Christians. Or you can say that to the, the um, Syrian believers who are being beheaded now for being Christians. Jesus is all you need. Or you can say it to the American student who's taken a, uh, has to do a report in anthropology class about how she believes in God in front of a whole class where they don't believe in God. So if you're stuck in a position like that, blindfolded in front of a firing squad or in front of your class, Zig Ziglar's, if you can dream it, you can achieve it, isn't just going to cut it. Or Oprah, Oprah Winfrey's, the greatest discovery of all time is that a person can change their life merely by changing their attitude. All right, you're up there ready to get shot. All right, all right I have a good attitude like this. I'm going to change everything. No. Or, you see, I can do all things through Christ is not, I can do it. That's one way to say it. Or you can say it like this. I can do it. I can die for Jesus. I can suffer for Jesus. I'm in the center of his will. I'm keeping my eyes fixed on him, yet I'm right here. I can do this. Not, I can do it. I can do this. Can you do it? Can you go through? Can, can each one of us is going to face this one. This is the biggest one for every single one of us. The moment before, well, some of us may not know it, but the moment before we pass from this life into eternity. I can do it. Jesus defeated sin and death. And the moment I close my eyes in this life, I'm going to open them in his presence in eternity. I can do it. Or, I can do this. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So whether it's a wayward child or a broken relationship or rejection or bitterness, or anger, or resentment from something ha happened to you that's not fair. Whether it's a sin that you just can't get over, it's, I can do this through Christ who gives me strength. I can do this. And then with confidence, you can say it to your friends and your family, you can do this, not in your own strength, don't get cocky here. 
you can do this through the strength that Jesus supplies. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You can do this. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he had a struggle and God said to him, Paul said, take this away, God. And God's answer was, no. His answer was, my grace is enough for you. Wow. My grace is enough for you. For my power, the Lord is saying to you, my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, says Paul, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. In your weakness, Jesus can be your strength. He's the one that can sustain you. He's the one that can keep you. He's the one. And I'm telling you, people are watching you. And when you're going through hell on earth and you look to Jesus and you're shining brightly with joy, joy is not happiness. Happiness is temporary. Joy is deep-seated, deep-rooted, and lasting. Joy does not depend on your circumstances. Happiness depends on your circumstances. When you're full of the joy of the Lord, people are watching you. And that is the loudest message you could ever say. And they look at you and say, how on earth could you have joy in the middle of that storm? How on earth could you have your feet on solid rock? Because you've planted it in Jesus, planted it on His Word. And you're shining brightly and displaying His strength to the world when you're weak. God help us to do that. As Christ followers, as Christians, help us to do that, Lord. When we go through tough times. But I don't want to live here with this, I'm just going to hang on until Jesus comes. I want to actually rise in victory out of this. And, and, And walk confidently, knowing who Jesus is. And that he set us free. We're not under a yoke of bondage or slavery anymore. We're free. We're set free. But at the same time, very, very mindful that he's the one walking us through these difficulties we have here on earth. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray for each one here today. I pray that those who are struggling today with sin, they just can't get rid of. That in the name of Jesus, that can be broken right now. Just agree with me in your mind. If that's you, just agree with me. It's broken in the name of Jesus. Those who are suffering from rejection, it just seems like on every side. Father, I thank you that we are accepted in your sight. Those that are discouraged, God, I know that you give courage and you bring courage. Father, thank you. For those that have the heartache of separation of relationships, I pray that you would heal those, God. I pray that we would not despair, that we would look to Jesus, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, and allow you to be strong on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.